Tonight I'm going to talk about vulnerability. And I'll actually begin by giving a kind of a broad view of Buddhism. Um, of course, the Buddha lived, the historical Buddha lived around 500 BC. That was Prince Siddhartha, who, according to Buddhist legend, achieved enlightenment and then he started teaching. Um, when he started teaching, that was called the that was said to be the turning of the wheel of Dharma. Um, and those, that, that first set of teachings, all those teachings were collected into the Pali Canon, or the, the Triptika, the original teachings of the Buddha, and that informed Southern Buddhism, or Theravada Buddhism. So sometimes the whole of the, the Theravada tradition is called a first turning of the wheel. Um, eventually Buddhism started to spread north. It first headed to the Tibetan plateau where it mixed with the Bon religion and became Tibetan Buddhism. Um, it had trouble crossing into China during the Han Dynasty, but once the Han Dynasty collapsed around 200 AD, it was able to get into China um, and kind of build its strength so that by the next dynasty, the Tang Dynasty, that was really the flowering of Chinese Buddhism. Um, Buddhism fused with Taoism to form Chan Buddhism in China, which became Zen Buddhism in Japan. Um, and then there were a few other northern schools that formed also. The northern schools collectively are known as Mahayana Buddhism. And Mahayana Buddhism, that's said to be, as it were, a second turning of the wheel of Dharma. And, of course, many different perspectives were, you know, many different new perspectives opened up in Mahayana Buddhism that, that weren't originally, you know, uh, that might have been implicit but were not explicit in, in Theravada Buddhism. So over the past 150 years or so, Buddhism has been making its way into the West, Europe and America. Um, and what's particularly interesting is that arriving at at this historical moment, it's when, you know, we, we now have a society that has learned a great deal about psychology, anthropology, sociology, all these sorts of things, as well as the natural sciences. And so Buddhism, in many ways, is encountering a society where all this is being explored, even neuroscience, you know. Um, and so some people refer to the coming of Buddhism to the West and the way that it's being understood in the West as a third turning of the wheel of Dharma. And that would be one that's really in process right now. Um, there's a, a famous Buddhist magazine, Tricycle, and the, the title takes its name from this idea. So if there, you know, assuming that there is such a thing as this third turning of the wheel of Dharma, um, really, the word vulnerability is a, is a profound example of something that was not really stated in the original teachings, but, but really reveals something deep about Buddhism and about Buddhist teachings. And the word vulnerability itself is a funny word. It's a, it's a word that's existed in English for centuries, um, 
and for much of its existence, it has just, it's kind of meant something negative. It's meant something, um, you know, ability to be wounded, ability to be hurt, you know. And so, say, uh, like a military base or a castle or something, they'd want to minimize their vulnerability, that sort of thing. Um, it was something to be minimized or avoided. Um, and there's been this curious shift in the word over the past half century or so, um, where there's a recognition of something positive that the word means, um, a positive quality needed for connection, a positive quality needed for intimacy. Um, and of course, we live in a society that, that fears that and is very uncomfortable with vulnerability. Um, So first I'll say one way that vulnerability, I think, is misunderstood. Um, But one way that people avoid vulnerability in this society is by living in their head. We live in a very head-driven, verbal-driven society. Um, And of course, the, the advantage of that, if I'm in my head, then everything's logical, you know, then I'm, you know, I'm not... I'm not shocked by the ups and downs of life, this sort of thing. And I think from the point of view of a head-centered existence, one way that vulnerability is misunderstood is that I'm being vulnerable if I'm discussing vulnerable content. And and I, I chuckle to say this a little bit because I know this is exactly how I understood vulnerability, say, 30 years ago. You know, I... People would ask, Mike, are you comfortable with vulnerability? And I'd say yes. And what I meant was I was able to talk about vulnerable content from a very logical head-based way, not feeling anything at all, you know. Um, And of course, that's not what vulnerability is at all. Vulnerability isn't even one thing in my experience. It's it's about um, layers of opening, layers of of sensitivity, of dropping into the body, of dropping into deeper places in the psyche, places that are more raw, places that feel more fully. Um, and it's, it's been my experience that vulnerability is something that continues to open and expand, that there are just layers and layers that open and expand. So I'm going to read something about vulnerability. This is a a quote that is on the quote sheet that I will share. It's a passage from David White. Vulnerability is not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying ever-present and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. To attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to become something that we are not, and most especially, to close off our understanding of the grief of others. More seriously, in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse the help needed at every turn of our existence and immobilize that essential title, and conversational foundation of our identity. 
The only choice as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. And so vulnerability, I think, presents so many questions to us, you know, how deeply do we allow ourselves to feel? You know, how much joy do you allow yourself to feel? How much sorrow do you allow yourself to feel? You know, and it's, as I think we all know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I can't, can't set the dial inside myself so I feel lots of joy, but not a lot of sorrow. It's really the only dial I have. I can feel more or feel less, you know. Um... How deeply are we impacted by what we see, by what we witness? Um, Vulnerability is, it's about feeling deeply, but it's also about, uh, you might say it's a kind of sense organ. It's a kind of way that we feel into what's happening around us, what's happening with people around us. Um, And when we meet people, from a place of vulnerability, there's a kind of magic in that. Um, you know, and I think it works at a, at a profoundly unconscious level most of the time. But, you know, essentially, if I'm approaching with vulnerability, I'm making this, this visceral statement, I'm open. I'm not really in a position to harm anyone else because I could be so deeply harmed right now, you know. And I think something about that puts people at ease, even if it's completely unconscious, it puts people at ease. Um, and sometimes even with strangers, you know, we have that, that moment, you know, maybe a, a chuckle over something in the moment or a, or a meeting of eyes, a genuine moment of empathy. Um, and there's something rich and very nourishing, even about those, those fleeting moments with strangers, let alone deep moments with, with people that are close to us. Um, vulnerability is is ultimately about tasting life, tasting life fully, um, drinking in fully the impact, the emotional impact of each experience. Um, the older I get, the more I think that a lot of the the fear of death in this culture is that people are just, it's almost like they're unconsciously aware, I haven't been feeling my life. And that fear of if suddenly their life ended, they would have missed the whole thing without, as it were, without being there, without having experienced it, you know. Um, And I think there's a way that when we live very fully, it's almost as if we forget death or we don't care, you know, we're not as afraid of it anymore. And so what does this have to do with Buddhism? 
Well, for example, compassion is a huge idea in, in all the classical Buddhist teachings, in, in Theravada and Mahayana. Um, in our modern psychological understanding, I can't very well show compassion if I'm not in touch with my vulnerability. You know, it's a very head-centered, sterile kind of compassion I'm offering if I don't have any vulnerability with it. Um, it might be worthwhile saying also, as I'm talking about vulnerability um, and feeling things deeply, um, I think part of what we're called to in Buddhism is to, to feel continually more and more deeply, to, to become more and more sensitive in a way. Um, but the only way we can do that and still function in the world is if we have good boundaries, you know, and so that's almost the other side of vulnerability, you know, are we keeping good boundaries while we're feeling deeply? There's a, a word in the Buddhist teachings in the Mahayana tradition, bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is the, um, quality that motivates the bodhisattva. It, it's this profound caring um, for the well-being of all sentient beings and almost almost a, a seeing of the struggle of sentient beings and a deep compassion for that, you know. Um, and you could say it's a kind of um, being vulnerable in a way that is, is being impacted by the plight of all sentient beings and carrying that. You know, and it, it's funny, a, a cynic would say, you know, well, if I'm sitting here, you know, with all the bodhicitta in the world, feeling vulnerably, if I'm just sitting here on my duff, what good does that do, you know? And to some extent, the cynic is right. You know, it. I think it's about when we when we are in that place, then how do we move out to the world and engage with the world? What kind of action are we motivated to take from that place? Um, and I guess it's, it's just my own belief and trust that if I'm acting from a place of, of deep vulnerability, deep caring, then the way that I engage with the world is going to be quite different than someone who engages from more of a head-centered, you know, need to fix things, you know, that kind of thing. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. Let's see, first I'll share it with the Zoomies. The quote sheet is in the chat. A school teacher, so I always have handouts. <laughs> So at the beginning, I have the long David White quote that I read, and, and certainly that, that's a quote worth rereading. There's a lot there. Um, from the Irish poet William Butler Yeats. It is so many years before one can believe enough in what one feels, even to know what the feeling is. From Ernest Hemingway. The best people possess a feeling for beauty, the courage to take risks, the discipline to tell their truth, 
the capacity for sacrifice. Ironically, their virtues make them vulnerable. They are often wounded, sometimes destroyed. Perhaps a little less in our society than in Hemingway's time. Albert Camus just said quite simply, live to the point of tears. Ramdas, oh, I should change the date there. Ramdas is no longer with us. Uh, Ramdas said, the art of life is to stay open and vulnerable, yet at the same time to sit with the mystery and the awe and the un- and with the bear- unbearable pain, just to be with it all. I've been growing into that wonderful catchphrase, be here now for the last 40 years. Bishop Desmond Tutu said, We choose to heal and we choose to move forward by being brave and vulnerable enough to heal. A couple from Bob Marley. Bob Marley said, The truth is everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. (laughs) He also said, Being vulnerable is the only way to allow your heart to feel true pleasure. Louis Erdrich said, Life will break you. No one can protect you from that, and living alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. When it happens to you, when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself you tasted as many as you could. From Paul Keolo, the strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. A few from Brene Brown, who has a lot to say on this subject. Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous on giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. She also says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. And she also said, Courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. Just that fundamental vulnerability of letting ourselves be seen. Julian Smith says, you can change the world again instead of protecting yourself from it. Veronica Tolugleva says, emotional pain cannot kill you, but running from it can. Allow, embrace, let yourself feel let yourself heal. Christine Feenan said, and maybe that was love, being so vulnerable and allowing someone else in so far they could hurt you, but also they could give you everything. Sue Fitzmorris said, what it means to be authentic, to be more concerned with truth than opinions, to be sincere and not pretend, to be free from hypocrisy, walk your talk, to know who you, who you are and to be that person, not to fear others seeing your vulnerabilities, to be confident to walk away from situations where you can't be yourself. 
being awake to your own feelings, being free from other people's opinions of you, accepting and loving yourself. A tall order there. Christina and Avoldson said, In healthy relationships, vulnerability is wonderful. It leads to increased intimacy and closer bonds. When a healthy person realizes that he or she has hurt you, they feel remorse and they make amends. It's safe to be honest. In, a, in an abusive system, of vulnerability is dangerous. It's considered a weakness, which acts as an invitation for more mistreatment. Abusive people feel a surge of power when they discover a weakness. They exploit it, using it to gain more power. Crying or complaining confirms that they poked you in the right spot. You know, and I think part of vulnerability is also trusting our own instincts about this is a person that feels safe to open up to, this person not so much. You know, this that sort of thing. Alara Hutchinson said, vulnerability really means to be strong and secure enough within yourself that you're able to walk outside without your armor on. You're able to show up in life just as you are. That is genuine strength and courage. Armor may look tough, but all it does is mask insecurity and fear.